Welcome to the Nursing Home Podcast, your go-to source for professional insights in the long-term care industry. Hear from leaders and experts as they share current and practical insights to help make the most of your day. I've been a long-term care financial specialist. What that means is I help people plan for the inevitable. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to think about getting old, but it's possible that someday we might need a little bit of care. Here's your host, nursing home administrator turned podcaster, Shmuel Septimus. Welcome back to another live broadcast of the Nursing Home Podcast. We know the nursing home industry is going through very, very challenging times right now. We know that with the coronavirus, the COVID-19 virus that is going around has affected everybody's lives in significant ways, and there's almost uh, nobody that's immune to it. Uh, I don't mean that clinically. Uh, And everyone's affected by it in some way, and many of us are stuck home besides for the healthcare providers and, you know, our essential businesses and employees that must continue in order to care for everybody else. Today, uh, we have a unique perspective on what is going on today in in the nursing home world in general, some of the technolog- technological advancements. Um, today, we bring on Dr. Carpenter, who's the National Medical Director of Sound physician telehospitalist services, internal medicine board certified physician with a focus in hospital medicine. Dr. Carpenter is recognized senior fellow in hospital medicine with over 10 years of proven success and progressive responsibility in hospital medicine leadership and administration, physician development, technology, and operations. Dr. Carpenter earned his medical degree from the University of Tennessee, the School of Medicine in Memphis, Tennessee, and completed his postgraduate residency at St. Louis University Medical Center in St. Louis, Missouri. He's an active member of the Society of Hospital Medicine, American Association of Physicians in Leadership, and the American College of Physicians. In his free time, now just a little fun fact, enjoys traveling, cooking, and reading a good book. So, we have um, today with me in the virtual studio, we have Dr. Carpenter and we have Brad Swenson, uh, Swenson of Sound Physicians. So welcome both of you to the Nursing Home Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, uh, thank you for being here today. So the nursing home world is evolving, as, as you all know, as our listeners know, and of course, as, as a lot of us live this world. And before, you know, the, the nursing home world, before you even get to COVID-19 and coronavirus uh, pandemic, let, let us focus first on the change of the typical nursing home patient from maybe 10, 20 years ago when we had the little old ladies, so to speak, that were spending their years in the nursing home and the long-term care stable patient um, to right now, we have the, the higher acuity, you know, the, 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 someone put it very well on the show, that the community hospital of yesterday is the nursing home of today. And we're dealing with very high acuity patients. You know, they're no longer residents. They're patients, short-term care patients. So what are the, some of the challenges, Dr. Carpenter, uh, that nursing homes face when dealing with this, the new type of nursing home patient? Yeah, it's a great, great question. And, and you're totally right. Like, 
over the past decade and probably even longer, the, the makeup of the patient who is going to a skilled nursing facility um, has definitely changed. The biggest change is, you know, they're just sicker. They're higher acuity patients. They have more medical needs um, that require more nursing attention. Mm-hmm. And so, um, a couple of challenges with that are that, you know, they require a higher touch. Uh, so you have staffing uh, uh, considerations in the, in the skilled nursing homes where you need a higher ratio of, ideally a higher ratio of skilled uh, RNs uh, and LPNs to be able to care for those patients. Um, as we all know, uh, we're all consumers of healthcare. Uh, another factor that uh, a barrier and, and um, uh, for SNFs are they have, uh, you know, the cost of medication is on the rise over the same time that the patients are getting sicker. So they're going to skilled nursing homes. Uh, they need a higher touch uh, care, and they also require uh, treatments that just cost more. Um, and up until recently, um, SNFs weren't necessarily uh, reimbursed based upon how sick a patient was. Um, uh, so they were uh their hands were tied. They would like to take sicker patients. They were getting sicker patients, uh, but they weren't necessarily also getting uh, appropriately reimbursed. Um, so there were there were patient care considerations, there are operational considerations, and there are financial implications for for taking care of these sicker patients uh, over time. And I totally appreciate the comment about the the skilled nursing home is uh, the community hospital of the past. It definitely is headed that direction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, thank you for that complete answer, um, Dr. Carpenter. Um, you see it sometimes. You know, you go to a hospital and you see the resources that they have available and the product which they're providing. You see the purport, you know, the ratio, I guess. And then you come to the nursing home where you have the same patient that was in this state of the art, um, just a, a typical hospital room with the staffing levels that they have and the equipment that they have. And then they continue their care immediately an hour later in a nursing home, pretty much on the same level of care. Um, they're there something you know, for short-term rehab. They're there to, you know, sometimes it's a fluff and a buff, like they call them in the industry, you know, <laughs> and just to get a little bit stronger before they go home. But sometimes it's very complex. This is stroke patients that are coming in completely, you know, uh, comatose. And you know, the job is to try and try and send them back, you know, to have them walk out of the facility. I've had the great privilege of watching that happen a few times. And some of the hospitals give up on it and it's the nursing homes staff that have to you know have to make that happen. But like you're saying, with before PDPM and before the major changes in reimbursement, getting a very low level of reimbursement and providing for the high level of care presents a very significant challenge because they simply can't afford the staffing levels that need and the treatment that they need and they have to get very creative to continue meeting uh, the care the care needs of the patients in a highly regulated environment. I would venture to say over-regulated environment. Um, I would agree with that. <laughs> okay, I don't know if you agree. <laughs> don't know if you agree. If you don't agree, uh, it's very important that it should be regulated, right. and there certainly are and more uh, bad players, so to speak. But um, it would be great if the facts were as I thought that they were when I went into this industry, and that is that we would both be on the same side of the table. Someone has to provide the care, someone has to enforce and ensure 
that's the, you know, the care is being provided based on certain guidelines. That's obviously necessary. All right, but without getting into that, it's a whole separate conversation. <laughs> um, yeah, that is a whole separate conversation. But the, staying focused on the higher acuity needs within the nursing home space, how does uh, telemedicine address that? And what are some of the maybe the cutting edge technologies that directly help with this problem? Yeah, I think, um, you know, at the core of, of telemedicine and why it's so successful is that you have, it's about providing access to the appropriate physician who can treat a patient wherever they are. In the scenario of a skilled nursing home, you, you need access to a physician who is uh, trained in treating acutely ill patients. And at Sound, you know, we started as a hospitalist group. Uh, we are experts at treating patients in hospitals. And as essentially the SNF is becoming uh, a hospital in many ways, you know, we're, we're a logical next step and we're trained and attuned to being able to treat those patients. So, you know, just accessing the right, the right skill set of the physician to be able to care for those patients. Um, right. Uh, I would just add to that, uh, you know, in a timely manner, like the, the typical nursing home a physician oversight sometimes is severely lacking and it's not the, anyone's fault. It's not the physician's fault, not a lack of care and not a lack of skill and not a lack of expertise, but maybe a lack of accessibility where you have the, the medical director or the attending physicians can only come. You know, they're struggling to make their mandatory visits within the timeframes that they are required to do. And if something happens, they're on the phone or they're seeing other patients they're not, they're just kind of really, I haven't thought about it, but I really, the way it works is that when they're present, they're present and they're there 100%. And when they're not present, they're kind of winging it. And that's the way physicians typically do it. Even a typical internal medicine, you know, uh, doctor, you know, it's off hours uh, unless, you know, if they have, they have their shifts, this is all they're doing, but they're not giving their 100% attention because they're human beings and they have to, they have to, you know, they have to be off sometimes. So they're giving the best medical advice that they can give based on how the question is presented, which may or may not be accurate. And based on where they are, if it's two o'clock in the morning, they would just pull out of bed. Yes, they dedicated themselves to this profession and they're answering the phone and they're doing the best that they can, but they're human beings that that may impact the decision if they're on the golf course or if this is the 10th phone call in the middle of that romantic yeah. dinner with their significant other you might get a different response than if they were sitting at a desk you know in front of a computer with a headset on and focused just on this i don't know why i'm rambling but i guess yes my point yeah, was that's, that's where telemedicine comes in so if you have, comes in, right right and i think you so, touched on a good point like it's not that um the the medical directors or the primary care doctors who who are doing you know you know great work in these SNFs and they're, they're just spread too thin. The re, the reality is like they're typically in their offices seeing a full caseload of patients and uh, they carve out time to, to come see patients when they need and uh, then after hours they're they they should appropriately be able to rest and decompress so that the next day they're ready to see their patients and focus on them. So. The access and the time, you're absolutely right. Uh, the promptness of the response to the nurses. Uh, if you if you want to really impact uh, care in a nursing home, um, we don't have to move mountains. We, we need to be uh, accessible, uh, which we are through telemedicine. 
uh, dedicated, uh, focused on the patient at the time, which we are. Uh, you know, we're working a shift. Uh, the physicians that work for us and with us are dedicated and, and they're committed to seeing patients in the SNF while they're on shift. So there's no distraction, you know, um, they're not sleeping. Um, they're ready to care for these patients and ready to take the time to listen to the nurse, interact with the nurse, have conversations with the nurse, and even provide some uh, on-the-job on on the education, really. Um, I think as the patients are getting sicker, you know, we're asking, we're, we're flexing muscles of nurses who haven't had to flex muscles, like I need to start an IV or I need to give a medicine I haven't had to give in a while. Like all of these are there at the SNF. We're not asking, you know, you don't necessarily need to bring in new equipment or new medications. You need to have a thought partner and, and a clinical lead uh, that can help you think which meds you need to give, when to give them to help the patient. Yeah, I mean, I would add to that. I've, I mean, that was very, very well said. But I would add one point is that sometimes when you're dealing with things that are more clinically complex, but not necessarily urgent, and especially a seasoned nursing home nurse may find this like as an emergency situation because we're starting an IV or emergency situation because we're doing something that we don't usually do. And A, the knee-jerk reaction is, well, send this person out to the hospital because this is not nursing home stuff. This is stuff they only do in the nursing homes, even though, of course, they know that these are things that they can and hopefully have done in the past. But a lot of times if you have the physician, if the physician was physically present, a good physician with decent bedside manner would immediately, you know, bring a certain sense of calmness to the situation where this is okay. This is normal. We're going to do this and you don't need to go anywhere else. You guys are skilled, you're trained, you have the equipment that you need and this is how you do it. So being available remotely can also have that effect to some extent. And I've seen that happen. I'm sure you know this as well. Yeah. And it's a level now, of reassurance for the nurse that they have an engaged provider that they can call, um, can access. And well. should something go wrong when they're doing something they're not really comfortable doing, you know, there's a solution there. There's something There's something that they can do. Um, you know, and, and I mean, another point also is that even if, let's say you just gave me a good idea and now I'm going to open up a telemedicine company, yeah. <laughs> and but what I'm going to do is I'm not going to have doctors actually uh, see or in, interact with the patients directly, but rather I'm sure there are such companies that exist that they're just basically an on-call physician group where it's not people who I'm waking them up in the middle of the night or ripping them from the golf course. Rather, these are people who they have 24-7. They have doctors who are actually sitting there and all they're doing is answering you know phone calls and responding between Netflix episodes. So, <laughs> no, but the point is, even so, there's a lot of benefit in that. And there really is to have someone dedicated. But with the, the technology that you guys are using, you have the, uh, I mean, you tell me, uh, actually, you know, you could tell us, tell the listeners, the viewers, um, you have that personal touch. We actually see what's going on. So how does that work? Yeah. So um, the way our, the way that we've designed our, our program um you know, essentially, we're, we're available for the nurse, essentially on demand. Uh, we, we work through a, an online intake process, but it's an easy button for the nurse. They basically just click a link and they have access to us. Uh, we, we monitor our responsiveness, right? We want to make sure that uh, we are responding in a promptly manner. And uh, over um, 
uh, 95% of the time we're responding in the time that the nurse is asking us to. Um, but it's more about, you know, how are we getting in front of the patient, right? So uh, when, when the decision is made to get in front of the patient, um, you know, we have uh, what, we, what we work off of are lightweight video carts, um, very easy to use. They turn on uh, much like, you know, FaceTime essentially is the, it's the, the patient can see me as I'm in my office. You can see behind me, right? Um, and I can see the patient. So I can interact with the patient in an empathetic, uh, understanding manner and really talk to them uh, and try to understand what's going on. A lot of medicine, you, you can come up with a formulation of your plan and, and understanding about from your history. Uh, and video conferencing is a great way to get history with these with these carts. Uh, but you also need to be able to examine patients. So um, that there's various uh, accessories you can have available, but I think, you know, at its most basic, you know, we want a stethoscope. I want to be able to hear uh, a patient's hearts, lungs, belly, uh, to be able to kind of make a clinical assessment. So, you know, we have a cart, we can visualize the patient, we have a stethoscope, we can listen to the patient, and then that partnership with the nurse kicks in. I need her to touch the patient. I can't, I'm, I'm not there, right? But, um, I can watch the patient as she's examining the patient and, and watch their reactions. And uh, with their interpretation of that, um, uh, you know, palpable exam, come up with a plan of care. And, um, you know, I think patients really appreciate that they have a doctor they can see without having to be shipped to the emergency room. Uh, it's not pleasant for a, doc a patient to go to the emergency room. They don't really want to leave that sniff, uh, get in an ambulance, uh, go to an ER that's loud and busy and be exposed to potential pathogens. You know, now we have COVID to worry about, but before COVID, any other pathogen was out there. Um, and, and so I think they're really appreciative of it from the nursing perspective as well as the patient. Mm -hmm. And it's not intrusive technology. It's technology most patients and, and nurses are familiar with anyway. Right. Right. I mean, at the base of video conferencing, like the whole world is doing, you know, these yeah. <laughs> these few weeks uh, because yeah. you know, it's a kind of replacing a lot of face-to-face -face conversations. And a lot of people have already commented that what, what we're going through now in the United States and all over the world, we're, everyone was forced to take a hard look as to what Thing, you know, we're, every day we get into our cars, we go a myriad of different places, different stops, and everyone in the household does different things. How much of that was essential? And how much of that it can we cut out and live right. more effective, meaningful lives? I don't just mean on a spiritual level. I do mean that. But I mean a very practical business level. Is it necessary for physicians to incur the costs necessary of going facility to facility? I'm not saying telemedicine should replace uh, physician oversight. Um, I know Brad, we spoke uh, earlier this week, and you know how you work in concert with the attending physicians and with the medical directors in the facilities. But there's so much, you know. I've, as a nursing home administrator, I've heard so many times from residents, I haven't seen my doctor in whatever two weeks, three weeks, two years. Now, a lot of times, that information is not accurate. Right. And are, a lot of times, they think I'm the physician because the way you see. I walk around um, and I usually don't 
play along with that. Um, but the point is that there's a certain reassurance that they get when they know that they're talking to a doctor. We're talking to the physician who can make, you know, real decisions. Who can make this decisions that, and I just feel reassured when I know that the doctor is here. And if a, if a, a typical attending physician only needs to see a resident, you know, every place has their, you know, the regulations may vary. But even if once every two weeks, once every four weeks, once a quarter, for a stable long-term patient, they they can feel like, well, I feel like something is brewing, and the nurse did. did they don't bring it to the doctor's attention, and it's just going to go on and on and on. And sometimes it's just a customer service experience, um, which can have a tremendous outcome. And sometimes it, there are some the residents are right or the patients are right that there is something that should be brought to the doctor's attention, but they simply can't. The doctor is like you said before. The doctor has a full caseload of patients in his office, and when he comes, he knows the mandatory stuff, and it's just physically impossible. But having this oversight. It, it can certainly improve the clinical outcomes and prevent prevent the resident from going back to the hospital. Which, like you said, even even simply from the resident's perspective, you know that's something that's um, that we would love to avoid. Just moving forward a little bit here. So now, you know, we are struggling with the coronavirus, COVID nineteen. It has specifically hit the nursing home world. Um, I speak to my friends who are active nursing home administrators and the struggles that they have getting their hands on protective equipment. Um, I just done a video call with a good friend of mine last night, late last night, he was still in his office um, and he was, you know, hoarding, you know, masks and gloves and gowns and he has stuff shipped to his house and he has to try to find people in the industry that he knows to get, you know, things paying 10 times the price and still feeling like it's a privilege to get it. And, I know the government's involved to try to avoid, to try to catch people who are taking advantage of a desperate situation. Uh, but these guys are on the front line, literally putting their lives at risk. And try, uh, these guys, I'm talking to these people actually right now, uh, who, who put other people's care first. So when it comes to epidemic, pandemics, I don't know what the difference is, but we'll leave that also for another time. Uh, when it comes to an outbreak like this, what is how does how does this affect the telemedicine world from a regulatory standpoint and also from a practical usage standpoint? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I think um, you know, so from a regulatory standpoint, you know, pre-COVID, uh, our our hand were a little bit tied in how quickly we could deploy telemedicine, right? So it's available, it's a great tool, it supplements the in-house providers, uh, it's additive to them, not to replace them at all. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, we were restricted by licensure and uh, credentialing uh, rules as they stood. Uh, in COVID, uh, we're more at, we're, we can more um, quickly respond because of the national state of emergency. There's been lifting of um, uh, licensure requirements, you still have to be licensed, right? You still need to be a licensed physician, uh, but you no longer necessarily have to be licensed in the state in which the provider, the patient is, um, as long as you have a license in a state that is in good standing, you can practice telemedicine. So our ability to really, in a pandemic situation, that's key because I, I might have, you know, my core basic telemedicine business might be in you know, the, uh, the Midwest and the South, but, you know, the need is in Washington and New York. Uh, with these restrictions, I can now 
uh, my team, my telemedicine team can now deploy our services wherever we are, wherever we are needed. Um, there's still some logistics, right? You have to uh, get the technology and we've, we've made a lightweight version of carts so that we can function through tablets and uh, other things. Um, but the biggest rate limiting factor has always been, and, and in some ways always will be, uh, the regulations uh, that are rightfully there. They're, they might be a little too restrictive um, pre-COVID, but um, you know, post in the current state, like we can we can we can deploy. Um, and then I think what's key is you have a group of physicians uh, who have a national presence and, and are actively engaged on what's happening across the country. So we know um, kind of how uh, globally. Uh, the protocols that have been put in place in nursing homes around screening and which patients are acceptable for patients. Um, and we can also flex. We can, whereas we might have only taken phone calls for escalations at night and weekends, we, we, we now have the ability to cover 24 seven if it's needed, you know, you know, and, and it is needed in certain parts of the country in nursing homes. Um, so I think, you know, a, a situation like this just, accelerates uh, deployment and adoption. And suddenly we also see that people's people second guessing the value of telemedicine has rapidly diminished. Um, they see the value, patients see the value. These nurses that are struggling with these sick patients and scared see the value um, of having telemedicine here. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, long, you know, another interesting phenomenon of COVID is you know, their volumes in nursing homes are suddenly um, they're plummeting in large in, across the country. You know, they either can't accept patients um, because they they themselves are on isolation, or more importantly, hospitals that are taking patients across the across the the country, their volumes are lower. So, uh, outside of like the hot spot zones. Um, yeah, I was going to say, because uh, I've seen places that, that yeah. yeah, all right. So you don't have the intake of patients, right? You don't have the intake of patients. So, but those that you get are sick and, and, you know, we're here to help in that situation. Well, I'm just, as, as you're eloquently explaining that and uh, two, two points pop in, into mind and then I actually have a question for Brad from the business perspective or maybe for both of you, but two points uh, one point is like you said that you know we went quickly to a more national acceptance for a, it's not a, a service that was always there but now it became all of a sudden clear how necessary uh, how necessary it is to have this remote capability of highly skilled clinicians providing care and the diagnostic treatments and uh, you know from wherever they are and you know and weaving some of the regulations and like I said, yeah, this, these things are temporary, but I hope and uh, that, you know, that the regulators and whoever's on the top is going to see the benefits of this. And maybe the way it is right now is, is temporary and probably should be temporary, but some level of easing of regulations to ensure that the care is received by those who need it most. I mean, that's what happens in these types of emergency situations is where all the fluff and smoke screen mm -hmm. and garbage, you know, all of a sudden goes away. And like the bottom line is people are dying. I mean, unfortunately, I, and I know too many people personally that have already succumbed to this terrible 
uh, outbreak, and everything else is like we're saving lives here, and hopefully society is sane or <laughs> morally uh, understands how we have to do everything we can. And regulations are there to regulate an industry in the normal times. These are not regular times. We have to focus on saving these lives. How do we save these lives? We don't have enough physicians. We don't have enough beds. So in, there's a school that I know a lot of my friends went to in the New York area. I just saw a picture yesterday. Because the school's not in service, the main study hall is filled with hospital beds. It became a hospital. That's not legal. Well, today it is. And right. tomorrow it shouldn't be because there's a lot of other concerns with that. But with... The, you know, with all the hospitals having patients in the hallways and and the Javits Center and the boat that's in the yard, all, you know, all the stuff that's happening, things have to happen. But another point is um, really maybe from a marketing standpoint, you know, uh, some very well-established companies complain about how the Internet has leveled the playing ground for from a lot of businesses, not, you know, clinical in nature and you could all of a sudden have a kid who's 18 years old and he's making millions of dollars a day because he's creative or funny or able to get other businesses out there and a lot of people are upset and it's not fair but really what has happened is that it's the talent that wins right and if this person is talented even if they're still going to college and even if at the end of the day they can take a multi-billion dollar company and improve their bottom line they're going to get that contract even if they still can't spell their own name because at the end of the day they can, can provide the results that people are looking for right the value catches up and the fact that they're still living in you know in the parents house in a basement sharing with a sibling doesn't make any difference at the end of the day you can do what you need to do in this case, I think, and I'm curious to hear what you think about this. This was not the follow-up question, which I'll get to in a minute. Um, is this going to change and start highlighting talented clinicians? Where, like you said, you could have a doctor that can spend his whole career in, in one city, or even if he branches out to you know multiple offices within a certain county within one state. This person might be the most talented physician in the country or the world, but at the end of the day, their opportunity to provide care is going to be on a patient-to-patient -patient level. I'm thinking that as telemedicine continues to grow with your company and within the country and globally, it's probably going to push talent further to, you know, to the forefront where skilled physicians or even experienced physicians will be able to operate on a higher level. And I don't know right. if, I'm, if this makes any sense. I'm just thinking out loud. What do you think? No. I think I see where you're going. Like, yeah, I think um, I'll, I'll take a stab and I'll let Brad uh, chime in here too. Um, so the way I, I, in some ways I do it, totally agree with you, right? Like this is a, uh, there are people that have made, uh, and will continue to make this an opportunity for growth of their business. Um, you know, we, I personally feel that, and we always lead with this before COVID. Um, we aren't a tech company. We're a physician group. We're using technology to take to let to allow our physicians who are well trained, we're experts in, in acute care. We have a we're very well versed in value based care um, and and all of the the nuances of keeping patients out of hospitals. Um, and it's groups like ours that I think this is an opportunity to leverage that talent pool. And I think that's kind of what we're going at. Not just. Yeah, there's lots of tech companies out there that have a pretty shiny telemedicine platform. They don't, they don't have they don't have anyone behind the scenes. You need the providers behind the scenes. 
Um, and I, I think that's that's our advantage is that we have always been and always will be a provider group. We were founded by a single physician. We have 3,500 physicians now. Um, and that, wow. that's our core. And we will stay to that core. Um, uh, we will just, you know, take the opportunities and, and, and the advantages maybe that come out of this to be able to help more patients. Um, and definitely we are here and, and can help currently and, and in the future post-COVID, right? So um, this won't last forever. Uh, and hopefully we'll all be able to move on at some point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And change reality. Brad, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, we're starting to see more and more fly-by-night technology companies, and maybe they're even using something like FaceTime or Skype in order to create these connection points between patients, clinicians, and um, others outside of the SNF. Um, but back to Dr. Carpenter's point, we are backed by 3,500 doctors, hospitalists um, that can be there and take care of the patient. And while we believe that telemedicine in SNFs is something that every SNF should have, regardless of pandemic times, like with what we're facing right now, uh, we have been sensitive to the need that uh, SNFs want a solution today. They, they don't have time to wait. So we have adjusted our business model a bit where we do offer uh, a rapid response solution. So in 72 hours, we can be up and running with our solution in a SNF with access to thousands of doctors across the country. And we really recognize two things that can break down that, uh, shorten that time for implementation. One is contracting. Uh, a nurse administrator, uh, similar to your previous life, uh, you're probably not interested in contemplating a one, two, three year sort of contract. Right now you've got serious issues you need to face. So being um, more flexible in a contract where it's more of a 30 day sort of commitment. And then the other piece is the implementation of technology can make uh, an overall implementation of a service much longer. So what we've done is we bypassed the typical cart that we would use, which takes time to ship, uh, implement, connect it up to your Wi-Fi, train the staff. So what we're doing is now deploying our technology through uh, laptops and iPads that probably already exist within the SNF. We can send them a unique hyperlink um, where they can instantly be up and running with minimal training um, and then be able to use the, the webcam capabilities on that laptop or tablet and really get that access right away. It's not an eight to 12 week sort of thing. It's in less than 72 hours, uh, they can have access to our hospitalists. Well, wow. So you actually merged both questions together very artfully because <laughs> that was my follow-up question was what, what is the sound physicians doing in their telemedicine department to meet this need? And you're saying that you've found a very, uh, you came up with a creative solution uh, to really, you know, almost eliminate the onboarding process, uh, which would be much more, uh, much more lengthy involved process and in order to get people up and running right away. And from a business standpoint, that ha- that happens to besides for providing the 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 critical care that you know, like you mentioned, the administrators are are desperate for, and the residents they really need this more than ever before. You know that high skill level of the physicians in their facilities. So making that easy is you know is super critical. But also you know they can get used to it, 
And <laughs> from a business perspective, it's a great thing to do. There's a lot of content companies that have opened up all their content, um, you know, to kids at home, to whether it's online learning or there's so many, so many examples, and which, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, thing to do, just helping our society. And I, I'm confident that that is the, the main goal. But at the same time, you know, if the only barrier to telemedicine, if the only th- barrier to getting better care in nursing homes is like a psychological barrier, that what is this new thing? And nursing homes are nursing home staff, I love them to pieces, but they're very institutionalized. You know, I, I'm painting with broad strokes, but there is this is not how we do it here. You know, in my tenure as administrator of some of the facilities I managed, we were transitioning to from paper documentation to you know, to electronic medical records, that was a big deal. You don't do that. I don't have an email address. I don't touch computers. I'm, uh, mice, we, the only thing we know about mice is from mousetraps. You know, so there was a lot, of, a lot of pushback. But then you come two, three, four, five years later when it's in the past, nurses are very happy with it. So this definitely can kind of push things uh, to the forefront. Uh, let me ask the question the other way. Is there any potential concern with getting the industry too used to telemedicine. Is there, any, is there any limit to the capabilities that could be abused perhaps or any cautionary tales that people should understand? Um, you know, not just your service, any service within telemedicine. I know, Brad, you're disqualified to answer this because you're... <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I'm answering the, uh, from a clinical standpoint. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I don't think that telemedicine can 100% replace the need for in-person doctor to patient, you know, visits. That's not how I think telemedicine should uh, evolve. Um, I I think it can take any physician's expertise and spread it across, right? You can access um, a hospitalist in in a hospital, a home, uh, or a skilled nursing home through telemedicine. You can also access a rheumatologist, right? So you have physicians who are in shortage uh, and there's just grow, there's physician shortages across the country. So it doesn't matter your specialty. And now you're able to essentially treat more patients that can access. Um, I think there's, you know, could it be, um, you know, uh, uh, used for evil, (laughs) for lack of a better word? Um, I, I think, you know, I think we always need to be mindful of that. There, I'm, and I think that's why there always should be some overriding rules and regulations. Um, uh, and I think as um, I think there was a fear uh, that if the if the if billing rules and regulations were released, uh, released too much, that, that maybe there would be overcharging by by physicians. Um, and I think that that. Uh, We'll see how that pans out in COVID because now you can bill more with telemedicine. But I think, you know, we're still ethical at the end of the day. Uh, we're still ethical in, in our practice and um, we will abide by the billing regulations as they stand. And um, I, I think appropriately being allowed to bill uh, and appropriately being reimbursed uh, and, and an appropriate amount of regulation uh, is only going to allow telemedicine to be adopted more broadly and expand mm-hmm. exponentially. So I, I think despite the crisis, like a lot of good could come out of this uh, long-term. Um, Amazing. 
Amazing. Yeah. Dr. Carpenter, I really appreciate you spending some time with us here on the podcast. I know that you have another meeting to go to, but really yeah. thank you for opening this up so much further than we have done in the past. And uh, yeah. you know, really thank you for providing the care that is so urgently necessary. It's on every single day, healthcare professionals are selflessly giving up of themselves, but especially these days. So thank you so much for coming on. And thank you know, I know. I know you got to go, so feel free to bounce at any point, and then I could just pick Brad's brain for another couple of minutes. Okay, I, I'll stay on for a couple minutes. Okay, fine. Yeah, I, you're, you're welcome to. So, Brad, question for you is that there, there's a lot of companies that provide telemedicine benefits in the nursing home space. It's new, but there are others who provide it there as well. So I know that you you, can, you have this new implementation process which helps people get up and running. Um, what would you say is the the uh, I guess the defining difference between uh, between sound phys physicians telemedicine company and and the competition or the others who are evolving um, in this space? Sure. Well, like Dr. Carpenter said, it really comes down to our physicians. Uh, we're not a technology company. Uh, as we discussed earlier, there's going to be a lot of technology companies out there that are pitching uh, a telemedicine solution. But uh, who knows where those doctors are coming from, how well they're trained, how well they're managed, uh, what workflows do they have in place to not only uh, take care of, of patients during the crisis, but when you start to think broader terms of readmission rates uh, and having the specific workflows, proven workflows that are going to bring readmission rates, I think that's critical. So the physicians, the workflow, um, and then the technology. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, the technology is the great equalizer, so to speak. In today's environment, anyone could probably put together some sort of technology platform to do some of these communication um, processes, but it's really the physicians in the workflow that are going to have an impact on the SNF. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the technology is available, but the product at the end of the day, I'm just trying to figure out the messaging here, but the product at the end of the day is not the technology. The product is the powerful, skilled, experienced, knowledgeable, broad-ranging physician group that stands behind the technology. And if you have someone else that is technology first, then maybe their, their shiny object might be better, smoother, cooler. Um, but at the same time, it's different than having, you know, having the this uh, strong base of, of physicians behind it. I mean, that, that definitely is something which which is unique. And, you know, taking an existing group and putting them in there, like there are so many failed startups in the technology space because primarily they're a technology and, you know, nobody's interested in uh, another software or another, you know, the, even, a, even another device. Like I think we're saturated with this and it's not cool anymore. It's, if it solves a real problem, then that's something else. So over here, it solves a problem provided this. Actually, I'll say it better. It doesn't solve a problem. It connects problem solvers with problems, right? Exactly. But the technology itself is just is just a means. Like I wouldn't say Zoom today is making business work, even though there are hundreds of thousands of Zoom meetings probably happening right now in the United States. Um, but they're just the technology. I heard another telehealth provider, I think it might have been on this podcast, uh, say that the screen melts away and it's the physician directly interacting with the patient or the nurse. And so it's just a means. And like you said, you know, the, the product really is not 
is not the iPad that you're using. It's not the FaceTime. It's not your your own signature software that you're using, but rather the product is getting that physician, the right physician at the right time, so the patient needs it at that time. So, Brad, if there are if there are uh, SNFs, if there are nursing homes that want to take advantage of this quick onboarding process right now, or they want to learn more about uh, your tele telemedicine product, and you know to dive deeper into this, what's the best place to send them? Yeah, they can certainly come to our main website, soundphysicians.com. They can learn about all of our solutions, and you can also see the telemedicine solutions, which cover both skilled nursing facilities, and then we also offer uh, hospital medicine, um, telemedicine services, which is also um, very needed today. In fact, uh, just this morning, I was talking with uh, one of the folks on my team, and they're involved in one of the uh, National Guard pop-up hospitals where we can bring our physicians in via telemedicine to help the clinical staff and the patients. That's fascinating. I, yeah. You know, we don't think about it. We think about beds and getting the computers there and the equipment, but which physicians didn't have something to do yesterday and now are all of a sudden able to staff these. And if you have these pop-up hospitals without the physician oversight, you know, that's obviously a challenge. And this, right. could, keep, this could keep the hospital physicians in the hospital Wow, that, 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 that is fascinating. So are you actually doing that now? Uh, we're just in the, the beginning of an implementation with that. So it's going to be really interesting. And, you know, being in telemedicine, it's on one hand, it's a lot of fun to turn on the news at any time of the day. And every day they're talking about telemedicine. So it's kind of a, a dream of someone in telemedicine to see uh, our, our services in the news every day. Um, but the challenge is it's also creating noise in the industry. Um, and back to the uh, fly-by-night and, and a lot of other things out there. So there's a lot of noise. And that's why certainly we appreciate the opportunity to talk with you on your podcast to perhaps get through some of the noise and be able to talk directly to uh, the SNF administrators that are subscribers to your podcast. So we really appreciate it. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. Definitely broaden this subject quite a bit. Um, okay, so we can send people if they want to learn more about the solution, they can go to your physician, to the Sound Physicians website and click on telemedicine. Is there any direct link, even if you don't have one now, or any direct person to reach out to if they want to find out uh, about this new, you know, quick onboarding process that's available right now? Is there a specific place to send them? If not, you can give me the link afterward. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, we've, we've got them all over our main website, but I will okay. find a direct uh, landing page for you to be able to use. We appreciate that. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so I'll definitely be able to push that out. And just it re it's really a tremendous resource for, you know, for nursing home administrators. They're struggling for survival right now for themselves, first of all, but more importantly, or as important, you know, for their staff and their residents. All right, excellent. Thank you so much, Brad. And thank you, Dr. Carpenter. I know you left, but thank you so much for coming on. Um, the Nursing Home Podcast. This is right now we are leaving from LinkedIn and Facebook Live, and this will be available at, as you see in the bottom of your screen, I never said that, but that was exciting to say that, <laughs> at the nursinghomepodcast.com. Right, thank you so much, Brad. Thanks, be safe. Now that you've enjoyed this episode of the Nursing Home Podcast, I'd really appreciate if you'd rate this podcast 
and let everyone else know what an amazing resource this is for those wanting to learn anything and everything about the nursing home industry. So head on over to ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Again, ratethispodcast.com slash nursing home. Leave me a review and let the world know what an amazing show this truly is. Thank you so much for listening and make sure to stay tuned and subscribe so you don't miss any other episodes.